0: Welcome to the CRA Resource Show. CRA Resources is a unique recruitment agency with a single focus of providing CRA staffing for clinical studies across North America. My name is Becky Clark, and I am Operations Manager at CRA Resources. Today, we're sitting down with Angela Roberts, Head of Recruiting, and special guest, Dalia Tsurov. Dahlia is a CRA manager who has a lot of experience hiring quality CRA candidates within the clinical research industry. So before we get started, make sure to visit creresources.com blog to catch up on our latest blog posts. You can also sign up there to get this content delivered to your inbox. So I'll turn it over to Angela and she can give us more details on our topic today.
1: Well, if anybody has been receiving in-mails or messages from me this week, then they know my hot topic for 2024 is candidate fraudulence. (laughs) I am so tired of dealing with candidate fraudulence, especially in the CRA space. It's wasting everybody's time it's causing big bottlenecks in hiring it's also causing us to overlook high quality Cras and I think if we band together we can nip it in the bud so that is my mantra for this year I've got fraudulence stamped on my forehead and <laughs> um, and it was really cool whenever I messaged dahlia she you know she came back to me and dahlia you've experienced this a lot within the last year or so haven't you I think the the percentage of what you suspected to be fake Cras was really high. So tell us a little bit about what your experience has been overall in terms of volume of CRA fraudulence as you've gone through the hiring process.
2: Well, um, at one of the companies that I've worked at, uh, the, um, the percentage of, um, and we call them questionable CRAs, <laughs> to be um, diplomatically correct, um, but the percentage was close to um, 70% and um we were concerned um whether we would be able to bring um enough of quality series uh, within a given time frame Mm -hmm. um and we struggled finding the good series and you would look through many many series and actually the CDs would look just phenomenal. Yeah. And once you get to the interview, that's when, you know, there would be red flags. Um, yeah. So, yes, I've gone through that, especially within the past year. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny because I had a conversation with another company last week, and they're they're looking to actually bring us on board because they've experienced something similar. She quoted 90 percent, and I don't know where oh, wow. her data comes from, but I'm like, bless her heart, because she's a dedicated recruiter. She's one person. For a small to medium sized CRO. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world does a team of I don't know how many people were on your hiring team, but I would imagine it was no more than four or five. Right. So you've got we've had as many as 700 applicants to one of our CRA jobs. How would a person, one person or a team of four or five go through 700 resumes to determine who's fake? who's qualified, and out of the qualified, who you speak with, because it's just overwhelming, isn't it?
2: It is, and that's why you rely on good recruiters, sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, the first step, you know, Mm -hmm. pre-screening step. Um, You ask them um, at CVs, and you tell them what it is that you're looking for. Um, If a sponsor specifies the therapeutic experience, um, you look at CV to see whether it's oncology, solid tumors, whether it's listed there, or whether it's um, liquid tumors, whether it's listed there, then you're looking um, at the number of years, because mm-hmm. ideally, you would want kind of like, you don't want all of your series to be newbies. Um, right. You mm-hmm. want um, kind of a combination, um, 20 to 30%, you want to have um, new series meaning that they're monitored for two to three years. Um, then you want the bulk of the series to be um somewhere beyond the five year mark in terms of experience mm-hmm. and then like um the remaining percentage would be kind of like the like um veterans who've been in the field for many, many years, like over mm-hmm. ten mm-hmm. plus years um and um and you know you look at that, then you're looking at um you know the credentials um, and of course, um one of the things that I asked recruiters to pay attention to is um, how quickly they jump from one project to another. Right. I mean, if it's it's contract, um, it's understandable if they have a short-term contract um, or even a couple of contracts if they're working part-time on one contract and another one, that's understandable. But if it's a full-time opportunity and then they jump um, after every year, that's alarming to me. That basically indicates there is no longevity with that candidate yeah um then you would look for any kind of typos you know um any kind of uh tasks that do not align with um CRA tasks
1: yeah um, we see that a lot too yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: so and mm-hmm. um of course you know um if you've seen that resume before sometimes we remember like someone applied and then we already pre-screened them and they apply again and you kind of like flag them in the system so The first um, help would be coming from recruiters, Um, Mm -hmm. and you kind of like train them on what you're looking for. And then once they select the person, that person goes to you know into your pile, and then you look at their credentials and say, yes, I think that would be a good candidate to interview.
1: Do you think your recruiter, and I, I agree with all of that, I love that you went through that detail, and and um, um, and and I the only thing that I would segue is, and dig a little bit further is contract positions when we're looking at job longevity, because that is a really important thing to us as well, but we ask the question for contracts, did you end the contract because the contract just ended, um, or um, did you end the contract before it was naturally expected to end, and could, did you have a chance to renew your assignment? Assignment, because if it's a CRO, for example, okay, so one project ended, but but if you were doing really well, there are other projects. I mean, did they offer to let you stay, and did you decide not to stay? If so, why didn't you? You know, just kind of starting to understand where their head is whenever it comes to making a decision to stay or go. Because with perms and contracts, along, well, I didn't like my manager, or I got a better offer, or I didn't want to travel, and you know, whatever. Understanding those reasons. Are very 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 helpful. Um, so I think it's really important. Now let me ask you this, and I love that you leaned on your re- that you you know you lean on your recru- recruiter, and I love it even more that you gave them direction because we got clients that don't. They just say I need five CRAs, and and we have to go back and ask them where. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of utilization? What is your therapeutics if it's a CRO? You know, what do you need them for? How long of a project? What is the frequency of monitoring? I mean, we got to ask all these questions to know what specifically they're. Yeah, exactly. They're like, I just need five people. Okay, well, can you help me out a little bit here? But did you also give your recruiters work direction on how to identify fraudulence,
2: or did you expect your recruiters to already do that? Um, some of them are very, um, you know, um, knowledgeable in Mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, we even had, I'll give you an example. We even had a person, um, who applied and we interviewed that person. Um, and then Recruita had a pre-screening call, which was a video call. And then Mm -hmm. myself and another manager, we had, um, a second, um, interview. And then the person looked one way and then on LinkedIn, um, they looked much younger. And the recruiter immediately reached out to me and she said, I don't have a good feeling about it, you know, right mm-hmm. off the bat. And um, that suspicion was confirmed that it was a questionable CRA.
1: I love yeah. that you call it questionable for the <laughs> audience that's listening. And, and here's the thing, and I, want, I like to say this too to those individuals, especially the ones that I've been in and that are asking me the questions. We identify fraudulent candidates as fraudulent whenever we've proven fraudulence. But we do have a not now category that maybe that would be more of a questionable category to where we haven't proven it, but we've got a suspicion. And so as talent acquisition, we don't have to interview them, we can put them into a not now category because hey, I'm looking for Marilyn Monroe. They look like a Jacqueline Kennedy. I'm not on talk to them, right? Because I'm looking for Marilyn Monroe, and so that makes it easier for talent acquisition. But HR is not like that, is it? When you guys, from an HR perspective, you work for the company and you're working through a kind of a formal thing you had to interview everyone the same amount of time, didn't you? I mean, you had to go through like the whole screening process and talk to us about that and how that just, you. I, that, well, tell us about that first and then I have a follow-on question. <laughs> okay.
2: um, well, when I started my career as a um, CRA manager, I remember, um, you know, I would be asked to do the interviews for half an hour, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, it quickly became a chance that, was not enough time you know, right. to really know um, how good of a CRA that applicant is. And quite honestly, I think the good amount of time to interview someone is roughly 45 to 50 minute, minutes and leaving about um, 10 minutes for any kind of follow-up questions. If they mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. for me in regards to the company, um, um, our group, et cetera. Um, so I would think that the best um, amount of time for interviewing is approximately one hour. Mm-hmm. Um some might argue like what about like one hour and fifteen minutes so that you don't have like interviews stacked up against each other. That can be done just, you know, for the calendar to to look pretty, you know, and so that you're not rushed, you know, from one interview to another. Um but um realistically um the interview would last for for an hour. Yeah.
1: Well, and you were held accountable, if you had an interview scheduled, you were expected to spend that whole hour with them, weren't you, regardless?
2: It's it's not so much about that. We just did not want um, for people to be immediately, um, immediately know that something went wrong in an interview. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, like within the 15 minutes, I, you know, I would know that, you know, the candidate is not um, a good CRA for us. Um, And, um, you know, I would continue asking questions, you know, until the interview finished, um, you know, just because we did not want to for it to be a negative experience. And then we would we would treat it as a normal interview and then we would provide the feedback to the recruiter who would later reach out to them. Um, So not to give out basically um, the information on how the interview went. So um, but yet, yeah, you know, there were those where I would you know, no, I would not hire this person, but, you know, I would have to sit through until, you know, the very bitter end.
1: <laughs> Did that drive you crazy? Because I, I tell my team, hey. God gives you a gut for a reason. And if your gut is screaming and you know this is not a candidate, we're going to represent you abort, 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 run away, stop the interview, go on and do something else. Right. So but again, I mean, we're talent acquisition. I think we have a little more freedom there and from an HR perspective. Agreed. I know when I work with IBM as a hiring manager, we were expected to ask every question on that screening form, because if anybody ever ended up suing you for not selecting them due to discrimination or whatever reason they would come up with, with, then you have this capability of saying, no, here's the answers and this is how it compared. And this is why I decided not to move forward with this candidate versus another. But Lordy mercy at the amount of time it takes to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And Dahlia, I'm really interested in knowing what happens during the interview that makes you be suspicious or what are some red flags that you've seen. Can you give us some examples of things that would make you think right in the beginning or as you're going through the interview um, at that step of the process? What, what might be a red flag?
2: Absolutely. So um, there were different kind of scenarios, you know, that I would pay attention to. Um, obviously with questionable CRAs, um, they would be big red flags, like, -hmm. like for example, they would be wearing a headset, but then, um, you know, the volume that will be coming through, it would sound as if, um, they were speaking through the computer. And I've actually had, um, an instance like that where, um, I asked you know point blank asked are you talking through your headset or you know are you talking through computer speakers and she said i'm talking through computer and at that point i said well in that case would you mind taking off the headset and then from that point the interview went south, you know so um that would be like one red flag then also um some of the people would wear wigs you know and those are extreme cases you know and um i think to hide the fact that they would have um Um, You know, some kind of like um, headphones or someone speaking to them um, and to hide that fact. Um, So that was going on as well. And then um, never heard of anybody
1: wearing a wig in an interview that you could tell maybe they were hiding a headset. I mean, you know, wear a wig if you need to wear a wig. But I mean, having a headset underneath the wig is kind of a little I mean, that's insane what people go to to do
0: right yeah because some interviews are video i mean i didn't even ask you that dahlia are you are your interviews i mean do you find it's mostly video or audio only or what what format are we talking
2: about no all of the interviews were videos Um, okay you know video interviews um, that's helpful yeah because it's really hard to um to gauge what's happening on the other end if Mm -hmm. you're doing it only through a phone Mm -hmm. um um, there would be instances also, um, like um, I refer to them as um, Milly Vanilla cases <laughs> where, <laughs> uh, where a person would be talking, but it would not be them talking, but someone else. And um there would always be kind of like a delay and um you know, but then you would look intensely at their you know lips and you would see the discrepancies, you know, even with a delay of three, four seconds, you would see that what they're saying is different from what um, the person is saying for them um, yeah. so that was very interesting and those were um, I hate to say it but those were the most entertaining interviews. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course oh um, lord well you might as well laugh <laughs> <laughs> that's insane um, though isn't it and, and you know we uh, we 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 really don't do phone interviews anymore either. I mean, unless it's someone that we know. I mean, if it's someone that we placed a kajillion times, I'll pick up the phone and call them and talk to them because I know them. Right. I mean, but, you know, video interviews are really the right way to go. And, and we'll we take snips of the video while we're talking to them and um, we compare it to their LinkedIn. Some clients even ask for a copy of their government issue. ID, like driver's license or whatever. And so when we submit that resume, we're submitting their government issue ID, the snip of their um, their video. And then, of course, you know, if they don't have their LinkedIn profile with the picture, we advise them to put their picture up because interview fraudulence is just, I mean, it's becoming worse, isn't it, Daya? I mean, over and over again, you, you see where they're getting really creative about how to sidestep the whole video interviewing aspect.
2: Agreed. Agreed. But um I think if you were paying attention uh to the red flags and also um you know if you ask more specific questions, not just generic questions, what mm-hmm. do you do during your monitoring visit? Because you can be easily coached and answer that question. Um yeah. the question needs to be um they need to be more specific and maybe yeah. therapeutically aligned, you know, mm-hmm. so that you um get a better answer. Um, and even when people, um, give me a really short response, mm-hmm. um, then in order to understand whether they truly, um, have the knowledge on a particular topic, I ask, um, follow-up questions. Um, I would say, you said this, would you please elaborate when you've seen an instance of this? Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, one question would be, um, have you ever had, um, issues with personally identifiable information, you know, and, um. Um, I I was taught to call it PII, but it's actually pronounced as PI. Um, So I would say, um, have you ever had instances where personal identifiable information was disclosed by a site? And how did you deal with it? Mm -hmm. Or can you give me an example, you know, when um, the ICF was not obtained in the right way? um, And what did you do about it? You know, what were your steps? You know, what were your follow-up steps with the site? So you have to... Become more granular with um, mm-hmm. the candidate. And even like when they give an answer, you know, drawing on that answer, you, you know, basically form your next question for them.
1: Right, right. I agree. And it becomes more of a conversation about their scenarios. And we do a lot of that too, digging in. It's important because there we, and you and I talked about this whenever we had our first brainstorming discussion, but there are entities out there that for a fee. They, they have these classes. They're like six-week, eight-week long classes to where these individuals who want to get a C or A gig that have never monitored or never worked in the clinical research industry at all will actually pay this fee to be taught how to pass these interviews. So you ask the basic, you know, what site management, what is a, tell me what essential documents are, what is, you know, you start asking all these questions. They know the answer because they've been coached. So right. it's only when you can start digging into the actual, you know, tell me about the endpoints of this oncology project and what we're some of the challenges that you saw with SAEs, and how did you, da, 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 you know, those are, are where you really can start identifying the true competency and knowledge of the individual. Agreed. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, and you have also, you have to get creative with questions, and also you have to switch up the questions.
1: because. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah,
2: because there are people who apply, and then they work um, in groups, Um, and, um, one person goes through, records the questions that you're asking them and then passes them on to the next question. So you modify, you tweak the questions a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. or you rotate them. Like, for example, you have uh, 50 questions and, you know, you change them up, you know. Um, you can even, um, ask a very basic question and just see how they respond. You can say, well, how do you address queries, you know, um, Please tell me, like, what is your approach? You know, like, for example, your site has 120 queries. Um, what would you prioritize? Um, you know, how would you follow up with the site to make sure all of them are addressed? You know, which ones would you tackle first? You know, so you can kind of, like, change them up and um, keep the applicants on their toes. Yeah, I think that's so
1: important. And you're right. I've seen questions on the Internet for certain companies. You can Google it. Um, the other thing I like to do, too, is like, let's say, for example, they work at PPD. I'm just throwing a company name out there. They say that they work for PPD. They've been there for six years. I like to ask questions. Oh, yeah, I know PPD. We've worked with them before. Tell me who the hi- who was your operations manager? hmm. And if it's video and you already suspect it's fraudulence, I mean, you're going to see the deer in the headlights where they're trying to come up. OK, my Aunt Carolyn's name. Can I use Becky's name? Can I use whatever? <laughs> what if she knows this person? I mean, you know, I mean, you can do things like that as well just to kind of catch them a little bit off guard, especially if you if there's a little bit of a suspicion, you know, um, yeah, makes but asking- a big difference.
0: Pointed Mm -hmm. questions. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. We do that too in our reference checking, you know, it's, we just, you have to make sure there's so much that, you know, can slip through. And I think it's so great, Dahlia, that you ask all of those questions and you have Mm -hmm. processes in place to try to weed them out. And um, you told us that once you started doing that, your number dropped significantly of applicants coming. Was that right? A fraudulent um, or yes, questionable. questionable applicants. <laughs> Thank you
2: for that qualification. <laughs> yeah. um, we would get more, um, I mean, tougher. You know, we would pay attention to every single detail in order not to let um, people through. Because we had a um, couple of instances where everything looked perfect. They interviewed, you know, and did fantastic job during the interview. But when it came to the background check, then there would be big surprises. And then Mm -hmm. myself, um, you know, and another manager would be scratching our heads and saying, you know, how did we miss that, you know. But um, then we became kind of um, more vigilant, I would say, you know, vigilant, um, paying attention to every single detail, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We would even, we would go as far as um, our recruiters would actually check the companies. Like, for example, if there is a company that's listed on TV and um, they've never heard of it and they would say, oh, it's a small company, several that just started up in U.S they would actually start Googling it, you know, and then we found a lot of, um, you know, um, questionable candidates that way. And we would actually have two or three people where like one person would be listed as a supervisor or lead series for that person. And then they work for the same company that does not actually exist, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would help out a lot, you know, and we would also look at the references, you know, who is their reference? Is it someone that we interviewed before or have we screened them out because, you know, um, because they were questionable. So uh, it was a rather robust process, I would say.
1: Yeah, ours is very similar in the history, but it takes time, doesn't it? But we do that, too. We keep a listing. We call up the client listing. Every sponsor and CRO that we're aware of, we keep track of when they were founded um if they still are in existence great if they are deceased or they've been acquired or they've rebranded or whatever what those dates were and you're absolutely right i mean you'll have these candidates that will come through and they'll they will have worked for three different companies that are deceased now so there's no way that you're going to do an employment verification on these people or they'll say that they worked for a company before it existed or before it started doing studies or after it was deceased or we actually had a guy yesterday that applied that said he worked for um Quintiles in 2019 <laughs> Quintiles was not Quintiles in 2019. Quintiles was IQVIA in 2019 and his rocket reach and signal hire email addresses were Quintiles email address. There's no way there was a Quintiles email address at that time period. Right. So being able to really, you know, find those minutiae because these guys are slick and they work together like you said i mean people for hire for interviews people are hired for references um i had one client that that uh, told me that one of their lead cras was approached maybe maybe you told me this but one of their lead cras was approached and offered money to be supervisor references for a handful of these fake cras that are going through a course right now
2: oh wow wow
1: so she was going to be paid to be their supervisor references
0: That is crazy. It's
2: your reputation on the line, you know. I know. You want to get that money, you know, because you ruin your reputation, you know. so uh. I know. I agree. That's amazing.
0: There are so many things out there. This is such a useful conversation. Dahlia, your experience has been so helpful, and I really Mm -hmm. want it to be encouraging for the other hiring managers out there. There are things to do to protect yourself from this kind of fraudulence or questionable quality we really want to make sure you're protected and you have these things in place and we're certainly here to help you as well if you need that um we are happy to do that dahlia thank you this has been so great i'm so sorry we're out of time i just want to keep picking your brain so please come back and <laughs> yes. talk with us again um sure. so Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Dahlia, for joining us today. Thanks to everybody out there listening. At CRA Resources, we understand you have many options when it comes to selecting which clinical recruiting company to partner with. Not only do we take pride in working with the highest quality CRAs and site managers, We also only work with quality pharmas, biotechs, medical device companies, and CROs who recognize the importance and value of a CRA's role. So feel free to reach out at creresources.com for more information about our firm. We cannot wait to work with you.